Welcome back to the Go in the Match podcast. To conclude the 2020-2021 Premier League season, we thought what better than to get a review from a fan of each individual club on their thoughts on how the season went from their perspective. What went well, what could have been better, and looking forward to next season. We're going to be working in order of how the table was concluded and finalised from this season's champions, Manchester City, all the way through the table to the relegated teams. Up first, we have Harry Siddall from City Extra with his take on how the campaign went for this season's champions. We're at the end of maybe the strangest Premier League season ever, where Manchester City were crowned champions of England for the fifth time. But this season, compared to the other title wins, there was no really standout performances, just an incredible team effort. This title is down truly to Pep Guardiola. Dropping as low as 11th in November, it would have been very easy, with the tragedy in his own personal life, to have this as his last year at the club, but he didn't. In the midst of a turbulent time, he committed another two years, and we haven't looked back since. Completely reinventing his side in the absence of a recognised striker, Manchester City went on a phenomenal, record-breaking 21 consecutive wins in all competitions, beating Liverpool, Spurs, Chelsea and Arsenal along the way. It was that run between November to March which won us the title. In the midst of all that, City continued to dominate on the domestic cup front, beating Arsenal, United and then Spurs on the run into our fourth consecutive Carabao Cup crown. A heavily rotated team was bested by a revitalised Chelsea on the day of the FA Cup semi-final, but Guardiola once again has dominated the league this season. It would be unfair of me not to pick out individuals on such a strange season, however. Ruben Diaz came into the club with a big price tag, with a Manchester City defence in shambles having just conceded fire to Leicester, and with the pressure of replacing the club's greatest ever captain, Vincent Kompany, and he has been absolutely transformative. Forming an incredible partnership with anyone he played with, Ruben Diaz will definitely be Manchester City captain in no time, and definitely a worthy recipient of the Football Writers Association Football of the Year, and one thinks the PFA award will soon to follow. Another player which I think is unlucky to miss out on the individual awards is Ilkay Gundogan. The German is so selfless in his play, and when called upon to move forward in the absence of Kevin De Bruyne, he shone, scoring the club's highest goals this season with 13. Even when Kevin De Bruyne came back, the German sat back and let Kevin De Bruyne show his brilliance. I could list loads and loads of names who've played a big part in the season that we've had. John Stones, Phil Foden, Riyad Mahrez, João Cancelo, Carl Walker, just to name a few. Team spirit really has carried City to the title this season. Up next, we have a review from Tommy from S10 Football Podcast to review second-placed Man United. Hi all, it's Tommy Gorman of the S10 Football Podcast. Big Manchester United fan, just here to give a quick two minutes of, of our season. Um, to me, it's just been one of inconsistency, frustration and progress, but ultimately underachievement at the end when it came down to it. Uh, we obviously started the season poorly. We had... Um, we lost like a few of our opening games, which set us off on the bad track. And then we sort of got together a bit, and it got to December, January time, and we thought, kick on in, there's a chance we can win the league. Obviously, City didn't have a good start. Um, nobody was really at it. And I just feel like we never really capitalised on the situation that we had at the time. Um, to me, standout performers, Luke Shaw, Bruno Fernandes... Have both won club awards for their performances this season, fully deserved. I also think Harry Maguire deserves to be mentioned in there, obviously. We've seen at the back end of the season what happens when you take him out of that United side um, and you have to play the likes of Bayer and Lindelof together. Um, it's just not a combination that works. Um, and I'd also like to say that Edinson Cavani's been a revelation, like 33, 34-year-old striker being brought in. 
a lot had reservations, myself included, but he's been fantastic. And now that he's re-signed, we've got a squad that could potentially challenge with a few additions. Uh, it's a good time to be a Manchester United fan. Um, my favourite moment of the season would have to be a game that we didn't actually play in the end. Um, getting Liverpool called off at home on the 2nd of May uh, It was a massive statement towards the ownership of our club. Um, obviously, they've vowed to have open dialogue with us now uh, about the future of Manchester United, which I think is massively important. Um, and I just thought that that night and that day was monumental in potentially securing 50 plus one or a change of ownership of the club. I think it's enormous. Um, just think, like the moments to forget of this season, like the Sheffield United at home disaster, um, Everton, West Brom. We've got a few absolutely shocking outlier results, and obviously the Europa League final just gone. I think if we win that, it's maybe a successful season, but as it is, it's just progress. I did feel gutted for David de Gea, uh, having missed the penalty, obviously, which lost us the game. And to me, it's not his fault for missing a penalty. Obviously, he's a goalkeeper. Um, you're not expected to be able to take penalties, but to not save one was really disappointing. Um, obviously, our performance in the FA Cup as well, I just thought, went out with a bit of a whimper at Leicester, obviously ended up winning the competition. Um, so I felt like that we could have done better there as well. And yeah, um, optimistic for next year, hoping we can go one further and challenge. That's all. In third place, we have last season's champions, Liverpool, with a review from Dan Club from World Football Index and James Pierce from The Athletic. It's a really difficult season to review from a Liverpool point of view because having started with the highest expectations we've had for some time, to, to look at it now and say we finished third, didn't particularly go far in the domestic cups and quarterfinals of the Champions League, you'd, you'd arguably look at that as a disappointment. But given how it's transpired, I think it's a it's a massive achievement to get into that Champions League for next season. I've um, I've said for some time this year that it would be a shame if what's a pretty forgettable campaign for many ways impacted what could be a brilliant season next year with fans back and obviously all the key players back. So I'm just delighted that this soulless no fans season that we've all had to endure isn't going to impact what could be a really, really special one next year. So overall, I'm pretty made up with the campaign. But when you look back, you know, we all know what happened in the early weeks with a bit inconsistent in terms of performances, what happened at Villa, obviously, and stuff. But I think when we lost Van Dijk, you know, we all knew it was a massive blow, but we looked like we'd coped with that. And we can't be out. We all kind of thought, okay, we can press on it, and you never know. We kind of stayed in and around the top of the table. And then Gomez went and you thought, okay, that's pretty tough. But then Fabinho was so good. And I think we all kind of got ahead of ourselves, not ahead of ourselves, but maybe thought, okay, we can press on and we can still challenge. But realistically, I think to maintain the sort of title winning form without them two was just just not going to happen. Um, and then obviously we lost Matip and it all kind of fell apart. Um, at the seams, really, understandably, you know, to to lose those players, and it just seemed like every week before a match, there'd be Twitter rumours flying around that you normally just ignore, but they ended up being true about another player who was injured. So it was pretty pretty wretched in many ways. Um, in terms of positives, you know, you look at Thiago's form in the last few weeks. You know, you can't really shy away from that Phillips, who's been outstanding for us recently. Um, Jota has show, shown that he can definitely make an impact. Um, hopefully with a full season next year. 
So there have been positives, and it's a strange to say that in terms of, like I say, a wholly forgettable season, really, for, for everyone across the Premier League, I think. I think when we look back on this campaign in a couple of seasons, a couple of years' time, we'll kind of think, God, that was pretty lifeless in many ways, that Premier League. But for moments for Liverpool, I think we can't really look away from Alisson. Um, like that, to get us into the Champions League, essentially, with a header in the dying seconds of a game, your goalkeeper is just... Just Liverpool through and through, really. So, yeah, overall, you know, we probably did the best we could have done out of it. And, you know, Jurgen Klopp just proves once again he is a proper genius. Um, and, yeah, let's all look forward to uh, next season with everyone back. I mean, it was such a roller coaster season for Liverpool when you think that at the turn of the year they were top of the Premier League table, 33 points from. 16 games and fans were at that point still dreaming about retaining the title even though they'd uh, by then had lost of course Virgil van Dijk to a ruptured ACL and Joe Gomez to a a serious knee injury as well but then um you know the wheels absolutely came off for a few months in the in in kind of that, that bleak winter that Liverpool endured i think it was you know, 10 points out of a possible 36 it was almost relegation form in that that middle third of the of the season, uh, of course, that you know, unprecedented run of six successive home league defeats, having gone sixty eight home league games unbeaten before then, and um, certainly after they lost at home to you know a doomed Fulham team in early March, I think you know most Liverpool fans just could not wait for this season to end. It just looked like it had completely derailed and and gone off course and was almost beyond repair but um, I think you've got to give Klopp and you've got to give the players a a huge amount of respect and admiration because um, to pull it out in the way they did to take 26 points out of the last 30 um, and to not you know not just manage to make a late bid for the top four but to actually finish third um, it was you know just an absolutely remarkable effort um, you know, it was. You know, I, I must admit, I'd be lying if I thought that they were capable of pulling that off because, um, you know, it was it just looked to be so much wrong in terms of so vulnerable defensively, and you know they'd um, really lost their sparkle going forward. But Klopp managed to get some belief back, and he managed to get some fluency back into Liverpool's attacking football. Um, you know, you'd, you'd obviously have to say Mohamed Salah, Salah by far and away Liverpool's player of the season. 31 goals in in all competitions, 22 in the league, just missing out to Harry Kane for the golden boot. Um, you know another remarkable effort from him. And you know, and he he kept Liverpool, you know, that kept their heads above water really when you know times when Sadio Mane and Roberto Firmino endured really you know difficult periods. And of course Jota was excellent after his arrival from Wolves, but you know he had his injury issues as well and was sorely missed. So um, yeah, when you think that Klopp got through. 20 centre-back pairings, um, you know, to lose all three of your senior centre-backs to season-ending injuries was was absolutely, you know, ridiculous. So, um, you know, and I think at any evaluation of the season, you have to give, give big praise as well to Nat Phillips and Reese Williams, who, um, you know, certainly in that the latter part of the season really stood up and and delivered for for all Liverpool supporters and you know Andy Robertson as well. You know he's an absolute machine. The way he manages to keep going and going, and Trent Alexander Arnold producing the absolute you know perfect riposte to all the criticism he'd had after being left out 
by England. And, you know, if, of course, if you're looking for iconic moments, then you just can't look beyond, beyond that um, that remarkable, dramatic header from Alison Becker to 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 win the game at West Brom and, and keep Liverpool on course for the top four. So, um, so yeah, what you know, what was a very difficult season for Liverpool ultimately ended triumphantly, and um, you know the Klopp reign is firmly back on track. And I think you know it, it it makes you believe that they'll be back up there competing for the the top prizes again next season. Up next, we have this season's champions of Europe and fourth place Chelsea with a review from Michael from At The Bridge podcast. What's up, everyone? Mikey here from At The Bridge pod. Uh, What a season. I mean, it really has been an incredible season for so many reasons. I mean, I think the end has got to be the positive for Chelsea. I mean, we started, it's 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 a season of two halves. Obviously, the first half under Lampard, not so good. And then the second half under Tuchel, which has been absolutely... Wildest dreams. I mean, an FA Cup final, a Champions League final, irrelevant if we don't lift any silverware. Because we, we were in ninth when um, Tuchel took us over and we'd have never expected to be in the position we are now. We did get the top four. That was the main goal. Of course, we um, we didn't. We had to rely on Spurs. So it was, it was very grateful for Gareth Bale and co to uh, do us a favour. But let's look at the stats. I mean, under Lampard, we were scoring more goals per 90. Not by much, 1.7 to 1.3. But it's the goals conceded per 90 that have been dramatically halved. I mean, we've gone from conceding 1.2 per game to now just 0.6. That's an outstanding, outstanding figure. And the defeat percentage, it gone from 32% to 15.5. You can see the improvement. and It's only going to get better. I feel once we've had a, a full preseason, a normal preseason. I mean, I, I know we've got Euro 2020 coming up, but still, that full preseason helps dramatically. For me, the takeaways are new manager, new structure, new mentality. We need a striker, that's clear. If we put away those chances, we will be challenging for the title next season. No questions asked. It was great to see fans back in at the end of the season as well. I think that, just that brawl, you cannot get that from fake tinned crowd noise that we've been uh, accustomed to over the past year for obvious reasons hearing the actual reaction to a game or an event within a game it's just it just warms the heart it's brilliant we, it's why we love sport in general the fans make football fans make sport fans make it better and i for one cannot wait for what the 2021 2022 season has in store for not just chelsea but for, but for football and soccer in general. In fifth place, we have Leicester, who were also this season's FA Cup winners, with a review from Sam Martin from Fox's Fancast. Hiya, um, my name's uh, Sam Martin. I'm a, I'm a Leicester fan. Um, I've been all, all my life, been up through the, uh, the ups and the downs. Um, in terms of a end-of-season uh, review, um, it's been a weird one for us as, as Leicester fans. I, I guess if you went back to the start of the season and uh, someone offered us fifth place and, and an FA Cup win, I think every Leicester fan would, would snap your hand off for it. Um, but given the circumstances, you know, being in top four all season and then dropping out, it, that's obviously disappointing. Um, I think as as fans, it's, it's it's been a good season, you know, and we've 
been through the ups and downs and, and that's just life as a as a Leicester City fan. Um we've got sort of a lot of young lads um which is sort of really quite interesting and um providing we keep them um then we should be in a in a great position. You know, we've spent a lot of money on a new training ground so so that's another thing. Um Europa League that was a bit disappointing. Our um our run in that uh, we we got beat by Sparta Prague. You'd have to think that on another sort of another day we could go further. Um, but we've all, we've got it all to come next year. Um, and and yeah, it's it's disappointing that we we didn't finish in the Champions League. But at the same time, um, we've got a lot of things to be excited about for next season. Um, hopefully, with some sort of new additions in, a bit of depth uh, strengthening to the squad, then. Then yeah, we'll we'll be spot on. Um, player of the season for me, definitely Yuri Tillemans. Uh, been absolute magic, and that goal in the FA Cup final just sort of uh, tipped that off. Um, and then you've got Ian Acho, Fafana. You know some some really good young lads. James Justin before he got injured, um, they'd all be up there. But but yeah, so overall, um, got to be happy with it. You beat your hand off for it at the start of the season. Uh, in hindsight, it's easy to be a little bit disappointed, but yeah, it's a, a good one for us. In sixth place, and this season's surprise package, West Ham United, with a review from James Jones from We Are West Ham podcast. What a season. Um, Almost lost for words a little bit, but David Moyes has completely transformed West Ham United Football Club in the space of, what, 12 months, 18 months. Um, At the beginning of this season, we lost our first two games on the back of just... Just staying up last year, on the back of you know a difficult season, uh, obviously because of coronavirus and everything. David Moyes came in after Pellegrini left and, and kept us up for the second time. And we went into this season losing our first two games, an atrocious performance on the opening day of the season at home to Newcastle, losing two 0 and we feared the worst again. We feared a, a repeat of the last two or three seasons where we've battled for our survival in the top flight, and and instead. David Moyes and the team completely delivered something that wasn't even in our wildest dreams at the beginning of the season and and here we are in May having finished sixth in the Premier League we're guaranteed to be in the Europa League group stages next season for the first time and it was a a record-breaking season as well Um, most Premier League points in a season for the club Um, most wins in a season with 19 most away wins in a season with I think about 9 or 10 um, and the players and the recruitment behind, um, first and foremost, the recruitment was just incredible. Um, Sue Fowl and Suchek, you know, probably arguably two of the signings of the of the season. Dawson, surprisingly enough, was a bit of a rock at the back when he came in midway through the campaign. Um, Lingard, obviously, the, the standout signing who arrived in January. Hopefully, he stays, and we can get him back on a more permanent deal. But the, the performances all season, the mentality behind the team. You know the the big one that stands out was the Spurs three three the Lanzini last minute equaliser, being three 0 down with eight minutes to go. You think that's dead and buried, especially against your your, your bitter rivals, and to get that back to three 0 and the way that we did it, that was testament to the the mentality that David Moyes has instilled in this squad. And then we just saw it get better and better and better. We began to tell off a little bit towards the end of the season, missed out on the top four as a result, but. We'll take sixth all day long, all day long, and 
I and every single West Ham fan on this planet right now are absolutely delighted and just can't wait for next season to start. And um, hopefully we can build on this. Um, getting top six next year once fans are back in the ground will be difficult, but um, if we're challenging in the top half of the table, a good European campaign, maybe go for one of the cups. Um, you know, as long as we see progress, then I think we'll be happy. And David Moyes, I really believe, having initially many believed him not being the right man to take the club forward, turns out that he might actually be the right man. So um, long may this continue. I'm going to enjoy the summer, and I can't wait for a European tour next year. Come on, you Irons! In seventh place. We have Tottenham Hotspur with a review from Ben Boreham. Well, where to start when you're reviewing what happened this season with Tottenham Hotspur? Um, the start of the season was excellent. Um, Wooden 5-2 away at Southampton, 6-1 away at Manchester United. Um, Harry Kane and Hugh Minson were scoring for fun. They were the most deadly partnership, arguably, in football at the time um, beating Manchester City comfortably beating Arsenal at home uh, on December the 6th to go top of the Premier League at the time then about Christmas, the Christmas period is where things started to uh, unwind we were playing too negative we kept losing leads in games late on um there was a lack of confidence you could see in the side when they played. There were rumours coming out in the dressing room about players being unhappy with Jose Mourinho's tactics. And, you know, despite the brilliance of Harry Kane all season, which, you know, I dread to think where Spurs would have finished without him, um, you could just see it, getting, it got worse and worse. It culminated, of course, with the um, horrible Europa League exit to uh, Zagreb. And in general, the league performances just continued to decline until Mourinho was sacked. Um, overall, this season was uh, a season that started out so promisingly, which, and then just completely uh, disintegrated it once the new year arrived. Uh, starting out of the season is no question Harry Kane. Um, not just to be the top scorer, but the top assister in the league as well. You know, it just proves how invaluable he is to us and why Spurs should do everything possible to keep hold of him this summer, whatever it costs. Up next, in eighth place, we have Arsenal with a review from Pet from State of Play podcast. Arsenal would have actually gone into this season with a lot of optimism after the win over Chelsea in the FA Cup final, one that they were underdogs for after being Man City in the semi-finals. And over the summer, they made some decent acquisitions in uh, the form of Thomas Partey, Gabriel as well. Uh, and of course, uh, a not so decent addition of Willian, uh, which we'll talk about, I guess, further on in this little clip. Um, Season started okay in terms of the Premier League. Uh, the first three uh, games were handled fairly easily by Arsenal. And then came probably the worst form that Arsenal have had for uh, 100 years. Um, they were sitting in the dire position of 16th uh, at one point, which was not very good. People called for Arteta's 
position to be looked at under more scrutiny. Arsenal had even more turbulence kind of at a similar time uh, or just before the season um, with Raul Sanleni leaving uh, and a lot of the other exec team leaving, uh, meaning that after what happened on the pitch at the beginning of the season, come Christmas time, the kind of position and uncertainty of the club over the club was really really high like there was this cloud that was hanging above Arsenal Football Club that was so so horrible you know we had um, two men at the helm who were inexperienced um, uh, who were basically tasked with rebuilding a massive massive football club and things weren't working on the pitch off the pitch um, uh, you know Thomas Partey a big acquisition was constantly injured for the first part of the season, uh, Gabriel had had a stellar start to the season. He was Arsenal's best player by, by a mile. And Willianna was obviously Willian. So to say that the off-the-pitch business was mixed is an absolute understatement. And then we went into the Christmas period where Arsenal experimented with a, a 4-2-3-1. The game against Chelsea at home was uh, some the first game where Emil Smith-Rowe was introduced. We saw Bakaya Saka on the right wing for the first time. And uh, we saw Lacazette leading that line with Martinelli on the left, who hadn't played in, I think, 9 to 12 months. And that was a real, real catalyst for change for Arsenal because it's uh, finally created some sort of link between the midfield and, and the attack. And that link was Emil Smith-Rowe uh, with, a, with a big helping hand from Lacazette, who was also dropping deep and, and doing really well. So that was a big turning point, the shift 4-2-3-1, the, um, you know, the the kind of uh, Xhaka started playing very well as well. Uh, we even had Danny Sabahs for a time, for a little period of time playing reasonably well. Thomas Partey came back into the fold and, I vividly remember the game against Wolves away where for 45 minutes Arsenal were the best I'd seen him in years almost. I mean, um, the back end of Wenger's reign was was pretty poor in terms of the last six to nine, 12 months, even though a lot of the underlying statistics are still good. Emery's reign was obviously you know, very, very mixed to say the least, even when we were doing well, the underlying statistics were terrible um but with Arteta there was this kind of you know when we were bad we were bad and the stats showed that when we were good we were very good and the stats showed that um and even in games where we the underlying stats were bad we were kind of built to play that way from a counter-attacking standpoint from a three at the back soak up pressure take on lots of pressure and break and and rely on a world-class finisher and a Bamiyang to score goals um it's always been kind of what we've got and um the, the game against Wolves was really interesting to me because we had Granit Xhaka and Thomas Partey who hadn't played that many games together. There was a few statistics about how um, they weren't passing to each other that much and, and stuff like that, which I thought was a load of nonsense. But um, that game showcased to me what I thought was uh, kind of very interesting in terms of what Arteta could build with Arsenal. And obviously, as the season went on, um, Arsenal's only route into Champions League football seemingly was... Europa League uh, they did uh, reasonably well to get to the semi-final and then lost as, as, as favourites against Villarreal over two legs they were truly Emeried uh, who then obviously went on to win the 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 Europa League for the, the fourth time in the, his career which is incredibly impressive um, and Arsenal finished the Premier League season with kind of a, a five on the bounce which uh, meant that their finishing position of 
of eighth was not as terrible as it could have been. And um, I think post-Christmas, Arsenal were the second best team in the league. So you'd hope that next season they can build on that form and push for the top four, if not come at least in the top six. And that should be the aim, especially after a, a very, very busy transfer window where you'd expect several, several outgoings and a lot of players coming in for Arsenal. So uh, stay tuned for the next season. In ninth place, we have one of the promoted sides from last season in Leeds United. We have two reviews. Firstly, we have Oscar from All Leeds TV. And secondly, Paul from Leeds That. It's been a great first season back for Leeds United. It's it's not always been plain sailing for Leeds, but all in all, we can't argue with the season. It's been a solid 9 out of 10 seasons. Finishing in the top 10 is no mean feat for a newly promoted team. I think we've had a lot of injuries throughout the season as well. Not really had that settled back four. Um, for, for much of the season, we've had to play Luke Aylin at centre-back quite a lot. We've had to play Calvin Phillips at centre-back. We've had to play different players in all sorts of positions. But when we did get Llorente back, Robin Cock back, and got a settled back four, we were much better defensively. And I think the attacking output's been fantastic throughout the season. You know, we've scored 60, 62 goals this season, which is the most for a newly promoted team, which is absolutely superb. Um, and that's what you expect from a Bielsa team. I think before the season started, I was kind of expecting us to finish around 12th. Um, I never felt we were going to go down. And I think throughout the season, we've never looked like going down. We've always looked comfortable and settled at this level. There's been the odd game where when we've been off it, We've we've been hammered really, you know. We've lost really heavily, and I think in the championship you can get away with that, and that's been a bit of a learning curve for us that we've got to be a hundred percent on it every single game because you get found out at this level. The quality difference is huge, but we've done fine. We've done fine in that respect. I think a lot of players are growing this season. You know, I think Stuart Dallas is the first one who's been player of the season by a mile. I think he probably should have been in the PFA team of the year. Um, or should be in the PFA team of the year rather I doubt he'll get in there but he's been absolutely superb he's gone into midfield and we used to call him the Cookstown Cafu this this season he's become the Cookstown Kimmick really he's just been fantastic and so many players are growing um, Rodrigo finished the season really well our big signing in the summer um, initially disappointing had Covid had injuries but he's come back and finished the season really well so I think all in all we look at it now and think the opportunity is really there to kick on more than anything. And and the confidence is huge. You know, we finished the season with four wins in a row. Very nearly three clean sheets in a row, but we cost ourselves in the last minute of the West Brom game a silly goal. But the the improvement across the team is massive. I think in the big games as well against Liverpool, Man City, Man United, Tottenham, Chelsea, second half of the season we've been a lot more competitive in those games. Um, because in the first half of the season, we really, really struggled in those games. I think our expansive style of play was very much exposed by the better teams, um, especially on the counter, because we left a lot of space in behind. But I think second half of the season, we've really shown a different approach. I think Bielsa has always been accused of being stubborn, but it's completely wrong. You, know, you only have to look at our records second half of the season against these teams. We've sat back a little bit more, absorbed a bit of pressure and... We've found a new way of playing in those kind of games. We still play expansively most weeks, but when we do need to sit off a little bit and respect the opposition, we'll do it. And and that's the adaptation of this team, and that's why I think we kick on. Um, of course, we've got to get the recruitment right. I think it's crucial we get a left-back 
an attacking midfielder to replace Pablo Hernandez, who's departed in Leeds United after five years of fantastic service. I think a backup goalkeeper is important as well. Um, and yeah, there's, I think even a winger, you know, I think Rafinha and Harrison are exceptional, but the drop off in quality is huge. And that's been sometimes when we have dropped silly points, it's often been when we've had injuries to people like Rafinha and Phillips because the drop off with the replacements is huge in quality. And that's to be expected for a newly promoted team, but that is something definitely for us to work on. Hi, it's Paul from the Leeds That Podcast. Just dropping in a note with my end of season review. Struggling for voice today because. The most wonderful thing happened yesterday. I actually got to go to a football match for the first time for me since the 22nd of February 2020. What a season Leeds United have had. I think we've exceeded all expectations. It's been it's certainly been a roller coaster. We had real issues with injuries in the first part of the season to our core central defensive pairings, which meant that probably some of the problems that were uh, showing weren't quite they weren't quite well if they'd have continued they would have been awful but fortunately the second half of the season we've been absolutely brilliant we've been solid we had some entertaining games in the first half of the season so many players have made the step up that we never necessarily imagined would um, you wanted them to but you weren't sure Luke Ayling Stuart Dallas Patrick Bamford Liam Cooper have all been magnificent Clicks played brilliantly at times. We've just... And then we've added players who've... Unfortunately, all have had little injury spells. But they've started to show exactly what they're capable of. Hands off anyone who's thinking of coming and getting Rafinha. We paid £18 million. I think he's got to take a hell of a lot more than that for, to, time, to take him away now. We've got Ilan Melier, who's got the record for being under 21, having the most clean sheets in the Premier League, stolen that record from Joe Hart. We've had a great year. And for fans to get back yesterday to say goodbye to Gaetano Berardi and Pablo Hernandez was just a special moment. The close season's really important. I think Marcelo Bielsa's just about signed on for another year. It was always going to be the end of the season. So to go on from here, the form we've had for the last 10 games is second in the league to only Liverpool. So let's take that form. Let's hope the... <laughs> Just like Jurgen Klopp, we're hoping that injuries are a bit kinder to us next year. And, yeah, let's see where we can go. Ninth was above everything that we'd ever hoped this season. We're only looking up. And with a full stadium, I think it's got to be a magnificent year next season. What a great season for Leeds United. Cheers for having me. In 10th place, we have Everton with a review from Ian from Across the Park podcast. And secondly... Luke and Michael from the 10th Pint Podcast. Hello, Ian Mills from Across the Park Podcast. Mike, thank you very much for the invite on the Going the Match podcast, asking for my opinion on the Everton season 2021. Um, I'll be honest, I expected more um, progress. Yes, we've now got combative midfielders who can win the ball, um, players who can press in certain areas. We've got a a defender in Ben Godfrey who allows us to play a high line. So yes, improvements. We've gone to Anfield and won. The Emirates and won. Monkeys off our back indeed. Um, Old Trafford, a point from Old Trafford. We beat Leicester away, beat Tottenham away. Chelsea at home, Arsenal at home. The season really is 
it's proper Everton in the fact that we've done such good things only to do such absolutely rubbish things. Sheffield United at home, Fulham at home, Newcastle at home, Leeds at home, Aston Villa at home. It's and that's killed us. And and you you look at the season now and you think if you'd have beat Newcastle, Fulham, and Sheffield United at home, you'd have qualified for the Champions League, and instead you finished tenth. Is there a more Everton thing than that? I don't think so. Um, the highs and lows, the high really has got to be winning at Anfield. Has to be. It was nineteen ninety nine, as the Reds let us know in certain songs, certain banners, all over social media. 1999 was the last time he won at Anfield. So to go to Anfield and win 2-0, probably not the best performance of the season, but a very, very good performance in in nullifying Liverpool's threat and and playing a certain way and and coming home with three points was was unbelievable, really. You know, I'm a a grown man now and I, I wasn't a grown man the last time he won at Anfield and I think that says it all. So... I celebrated with my, my little boy who's three. We we were jumping round and, and hopefully that's the first of of many to come because that that gap of what was it twenty was it what's nineteen ninety nine to I'm, I'm rubbish at maths was it twenty two years or something is that that we last won at Anfield nineteen ninety nine to twenty one ninety well, yeah I don't know anyway a long long time since we won at Anfield it can't go that long again it it, it just it just can't. It, so that's a definite high. And another high was the start of the season, really, because we played such really attacking, attractive football that allowed us to to score at ease at times. We did concede at ease as well, which I think is one of the main reasons that we reverted to the the Italian low block, which is, is very defensive. It's not attractive on the eye. If I was a neutral, I wouldn't watch Everton Football Club on Sky Sports on a half-five on a Saturday. I wouldn't watch them at you know, half seven on a Tuesday when I was at home by myself. If I didn't support them, they're not attractive on the eye. But he set that style up for two reasons for me. He, he doesn't trust the players that, that are there to go and play a high press, to go and score goals and not concede and play in a counter-attack and, you know, with pace. He's referenced already this, this season that he's going to try and address that in the summer. So the, the, the first half of the season was great, but it was also an eye-opener for us fans and, and Carlo, the fact that we reverted to to the low block and, and, and to the defensive you know, d- defensive style of football, we, we couldn't have carried on that way. And, and I see some Evertonians online who, who do say that, you know, we won the first seven games, we were we were seconds at Boxing Day, and yet it, it was great. It, it was Spirit of the Blues was, was playing in my house as much as it probably was in, in, in any Evertonians' house at that first period of the season. But... We couldn't maintain that, that way of football. We just couldn't. We haven't got the personnel to play that that high line and the high press and the, the energy. Yes, you can play for the first half of the season or the first seven games of the season. This Everton team are not capable of playing that way of football for 38 games. We, we would have finished a lot lower than 10. So, yeah, the, the, the first half of the season and the wins at, and the win at Anfield and, and the win at the Emirates as well were, were my highs. The lows, like I've just mentioned, were... The fact that we're nine points away from being in the Champions League and having a major, major overhaul this summer, which is what is needed. We we can't have really a, an overhaul when we finish tenth. Even players that you want to attract to who are any good who, who don't know about Everton Football Club and, and they hear of interest, 
and they see we finish 10th, are they, are they really going to come? Possibly with Carlo Angelotti there and possibly with the, the wages that we can pay, but realistically, no. If, if they're that good, they're going to play for the Champions League team. So that is the big low for me, that the fact that we've just got not only beaten by some bad teams at home, but we got outplayed, and, and that was that was really, really disappointing. To, to sum the season up, I, I know Mike wants, wants a quick reaction. Um, progress, yes, progress. Enough progress? No, I expected a lot more from Everton this season. Um, next season, huge. This summer is huge. We can't get it wrong. We can't get the summer wrong. We can't get next season wrong. I don't know where we would be if we did get both wrong. You'd probably look at would Carlo be there if he got next season wrong? And 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 as a, you know, rightly or wrongly. I back that man 100%. We are really privileged to have someone at the football club with that level of experience and and what he can do. And You've you've got to believe in him. You've got to back him. I I would say any Evertonians listening to this, he's played a certain way this season because he's had to. I don't think if if he had three or four attacking players, which he said he wants this summer, we'd play that way next season. I could be wrong. I I don't think I am. I'll put my neck on the line and, and say it, but... This season, in short, for the Going the Match podcast, progression, yes. Enough progression, no. Anyone who wants to hear more from myself, uh, two more Evertonians and three Reds, we get together every single week on a Monday and discuss Everton and Liverpool. We are over at, at Across the Park PC on Twitter, at Across the Park PC on Instagram. If you're old enough to have Facebook, search Across the Park Podcast on Facebook on the Tinternet Across the Park Podcast.co.uk. Mike, thanks for having having me on Going the Match Podcast. Hello, um, it's Luke and Michael from the Ten Point Podcast here, and we're going to be doing a little review about Everton's season. Start off with what did you think about it, Michael? Yeah, overall, it started very promising, and then um, it tailed off a bit, didn't it? And then December picked up, and then tailed off again. So. Overall, there were some good away wins, but the home form was just terrible all season. So overall, I'd probably say like give it like a five or six out of ten. I don't know about you. What do you rate it out of ten? It was just a bit of a bizarre up and down season. I think a lot of teams had that, didn't they? Like, but we started off with a win at Tottenham. We haven't won there for years. How many years? Is it thirty odd years? No, we ain't that long. It was no. oh wait, when last time we won there, Pinar scored. I was it. I thought it was longer than that. Nah, we ain't that, we ain't that long life. Well, yeah, we won there. And then um, we had a few good wins. We'd Salford, we West Brock 5-2. We also beat Fleetwood 5-2. Palace away. West Ham at home. Brighton at home. And then we drew two all against Liverpool and the Derby. And then after... Better times there, like, weren't it? I know, yeah. I think we were top of the league on when the first international break, weren't we? <laughs> and then we come back and then... it. On a remember that Sunday we got beat two 0 against Southampton and that that's when it started to fall apart. Nah, it was that was probably our worst performance, worst performance of the season. That saying that there's a few you could aim for that for contender, contender for that. Yeah, and then we went on a bit of a bad run. We got beat against Newcastle away, who actually done a double over us. We got beat against United at home, and then Leeds beat us at Cuddleston. Barely we drew against them away. And then we beat we beat Chelsea at home. And then we had a little had a better run again in December. Then didn't we? We beat him um, Leicester away and beat Arsenal at home. 
but then got beat against United in the cup. Yeah, that was sort of when we changed system, weren't it? To play in the four centre halves across the back. Yeah. So it went to that low block, didn't we? Which worked well, especially away from home, but at home, it was just flawed, really. That's what's cost us this season, ultimately. Like the home form's just been a disgrace, really. I think it's like our third or fourth worst ever home records across a season, like ever. Yeah, it's just the shambles, but I think it's because like there's factors which go into that, isn't there? You know, like the fans not being there. I think it is at our best away form. In yeah, the, yeah, in the Premier League. Yeah. Our best away form, but then you could argue would we beat would we beat the even like games against Arsenal away? Would we beat Leicester away? Would we beat Wolves away? Would we beat Arsenal away when we got that penalty overturned, VAR, stuff like that? If there was yeah, fans I'd, there, maybe not. Well, you can argue it either way. I'd say in a way, it's good that we've took the opportunity of no fans there to get like a few of them really bad records away from us, like you know, Liverpool away, Arsenal. Spurs, like yeah. they're all gone now. So I'd say that's like next season. You probably feel more confident going them places. I say confident, but you know what I mean. We got the two quarterfinals too, didn't we? Beat against was it United and City? We got beat against. Yeah, I was there for the one at home for United. There's only two thousand fans. But that's another thing. It's just this season. It just, I, we've missed out on Europe by a few points, like but. I don't really feel that bollocks. It's like there's been no fans there all season. It's just yeah. I feel a bit detached from it. I don't know about you. Yeah, I I, I do. I know obviously you're you have a season ticket and I, I don't have one anymore. Uh, but like we go like the ways together, don't we? And like I don't know. I think you found that the football isn't really not that it's not the important part, but the best part of the ways is going with your mates and like all that type of thing rather than the actual ninety minutes. Certainly for us, like. Yeah, even the home games as well, lads. You miss it, you know what I mean? But, like, overall, yeah, what did you say? Five out of ten? Yeah, five out of ten. Six out of ten. Probably agree with it. One of them, say we win the last two games, you could probably, that'll probably then be a seven or eight out of ten. So it's it's small margins, but I think a lot of players, like, I think the Charleston's been affected by having no fans there. I think he's one of them players that needs fans and that type of thing. For next season, he'll improve. But yeah, it's just, it just for me, like, looking at it all, for me, it just feels like a huge missed opportunity. Like, you look at some of the home games we've lost there, like um, Fulham, who got relegated, um, Burnley, Newcastle. Sheffield United. <laughs> Sheffield, Sheffield United, forgot them. It, even if you pick up two wins there, that gets you Europe. Just for me, it, it, it does feel like a huge disappointment not, not getting Europe at all. Yeah, Because right. at one point... I can't remember what month it was, but it was like we beat Liverpool away, then Southampton and West Brom. And we were fourth and we were looking, you know, like even in contention for Champions League. Like, but to not get no sort, no form of European football at all, it's just, I don't know, I think it's just a massive missed opportunity. Yeah, I'd agree. But um, what would you say, obviously, Liverpool away, would you say is the biggest win of the season? Yeah, that's got to be the best like performance of the season. But we had a few good away performances, like Spurs' first game of the season, Leicester away as well. They were both really good performances. Yeah. But um, yeah. In, who would you have your player of the season and what do you think we need in the summer? Player of the season, see. For like young player, I'd probably go with Godfrey. He's been a good sign and Annie Godfrey. Yeah, I'd, say. I'd agree with that. Yeah, like he, he, he may end up in the England squad in the summer, which 
Yeah, I'd agree with you there, as you just said. Um, Godfrey is probably, yeah, well, I don't think of any other young players that have been in the side, to be honest. But, um, yeah, Godfrey, and then you could probably have to say Calvaloon, wouldn't you, as player of the yeah. year? Yeah. Well, I'd say the second half of the season, he sort of tailed off, but was goal team for the season. It's been really good, hasn't it? Yeah, but overall, probably a five out of ten. Do you want to know who else I'm hard throwing there? But, but I'm not saying player for the season, but the truth for the second half of the season. Yeah. I'd say Pickford's been really good. Since his mistake against Leicester at home, he really came on since then. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd probably start him for England if it was Southgate. But yeah, overall, five out of ten. Improvements need to be made and transfers need to come in in the summer. And Fabian Delph needs to go out. <laughs> <laughs> Up next, we have Aston Villa. With two reviews again, firstly from Chris from the Villa View, and secondly from Phil from 7500 to Holt. Uh, hi, mates, Chris here for, uh, from the Villa View. Um, yeah, I mean, just a quick, quick sort of overview of the season. Um, you know, I'm really, really happy, I think, as most Villa fans are, that, um, you know, the. The level of um, improvement from last season, you know, when we first we first got into the Premier League, you know, I knew it would be tough. Um, I was proved it was, I was proved right. You know, we we just about scraped it, but to be twenty points ahead of where we finished uh, last season is is quite incredible. You know, if, if we were to have another season like that next season with that kind of improvement, then you're looking at you're looking at like top two. So, um, you know, really, really really happy with the overall club really happy with some with the with the um with the signings we brought in i think emmy martinez is for me the signing of the season uh 15 clean sheets that back four um all english back four have been have been outstanding i think cons has been really unlucky not to be called up for for the euro squad but overall i mean some incredible results 7-2 against liverpool was was um Still doesn't feel real when you when you watch it back. Um, absolutely phenomenal performance. Could have been maybe eight or nine that night. We've had some brilliant results against you know Arsenal. I thought probably my favourite performance of the season was away at, at the Emirates when we won three nil. Um, some you know some amazing amazing uh, performances against some of the big teams or the other so-called big teams, and it was great. You know our our first half of the season we were we were looking like we were going to finish top eight. Um, top eight, top nine, which I think would have been a fair reflection on 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 where um on where we sort of deserve to finish. But sadly, the, the from January, you know, we had that COVID outbreak and things things weren't quite as smooth in the in the last half of the season. Missed Jack for for three months, which was a huge loss. Um, so a little bit disappointed not to finish in, in the top half. I think to come eleventh is still a good achievement, but a little bit disappointed uh, that we couldn't we couldn't finish uh, in that top half. But again. To finish the season off with back-to-back wins. It was the first our first back-to-back since 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 December. So to finish the season off against Spurs and Chelsea, um, back-to-back victories just leaves everyone in 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 a great in a great mood and, and really excited for uh, for next season. And you know, I think um, I think a lot of teams are going to are going to be surprised uh, at our our level of spending power. The players we're going to bring in, the money we're going to spend. So overall, really exciting time to be, to be a Villa fan. And um, yeah, can't wait for next season. The 2020-2021 Aston Villa season was both a success and a disappointment. Honestly, it's kind of a privilege to be disappointed for finishing 11th following a season where we barely beat back relegation. 
The signings over the summer worked out really well, led by signing of the year Emmy Martinez, who tied the Aston Villa record for clean sheets by a keeper. And he would have broken it if not for his nasty habit of letting in a goal every time the announcers would mention the record. Ollie Watkins, Matty Cash, and Bertrand Traore jumped right into the first team and settled very well. But as a whole, the Aston Villa season was two parts. In 2020, things were fantastic. Captain Jack Grealish was combining well with Loney Ross Barkley in the attack, and the defense was among the best in the league, if not the best. Aston Villa's supporters and the team were dreaming of Europe. But the season turned with a COVID outbreak and an injury to Jack Grealish. The shutdown of the facilities killed the wonderful momentum, and the loss of Jack for a third of the season showed the club still has a long way to go in terms of quality depth. Any team would miss a player of the quality of Jack Grealish, but Aston Villa found it very difficult to create chances. This coincided with a massive drop-off from Ross Barkley. Dean Smith tried to stick with the Chelsea player, hoping to play him into form, but it just never happened. Grealish showed up at the end of the season, and Aston Villa ended the year beating Chelsea and Tottenham. In the end, 11th was a fair result and a sign of progression for the club. After the Premier League ended, the club won the FA Youth Cup Championship, beating Liverpool in the final. That is just one of the many signs that Aston Villa, the future is bright. Up the Villa. In 12th place, we have Newcastle United with a review from Keg from the Magpie channel. Bonjour everyone, Keg here from the Magpie channel TV for Go the Match podcast to talk about Newcastle United's 2021 season. And not going to lie, it's been disappointing. A write-off would like to sweep it under the carpet and never talk about it again. The last couple of months, though, to be fair, we finished the season really, really strongly. Obviously being in a relegation battle for much of it, most of it been touch and go. We're even in the bottom three for a short temporary spell during the uh, Fulham and Aston Villa game a couple of months ago, but thankfully Villa came out and got on top that day, but it was that close. But we're actually in the bottom three only a couple of months ago. Uh, Steve Bruce just isn't good enough. I know a lot of neutral fans think Newcastle fans whinge on a little bit too much. Be thankful of what you got and all that, but honestly, we've just survived another year. We don't want to survive year in, year out. We want to thrive like we did back in the good old days of Kevin Keegan and Bobby Robson. We had decent teams, a good owner in Sir John Hall that put money into the club, wasn't greedy like Mike Ashley and just dwindling the club away into nothing. And it's just been another survival year, just just looking for that 16th, 17th place. And we're currently in 15th, but don't know how we'll go by the end of the season. But we've survived another year. It's job done in terms of Mike Ashley and Steve Bruce's eyes, but we want to push on further. We want to try and break top 10, top 8 if we can. But unfortunately, just the money isn't there and the coaching isn't there. Staff's poor. We've got a decent enough squad as well with the likes of uh, Alan Smaxman and Callum Wilson, but just the coaching's not good enough. The results aren't good enough. Training, games, the entertainment without Alan Smaxman and Callum Wilson, we just can't even be bothered. It's just so boring so yeah it's been a disappointing season but we've survived we got there in the end thanks thankfully to joe willock joe willock's been a, a huge revelation for us in the second half of the season got some absolutely crucial goals so yeah it is what it is it's, it's another season under the under the rug but yeah it's not really one that we're going to look on fondly until we can get back into that top 10 bracket 
get some decent performances and actually get us in James's Park, get some entertainment and excitement. It's it's just going to be more and more of the same, just survival every year. So hopefully we'll get that takeover that we've been looking for in the summer. Mike Ashley supposedly taking the Premier League to court about, about some unlawful rejection of the deal or something. I don't know, but yeah, that's been our season so far. Bit of disappointment, but we've survived, so we'll take it as it is and look forward to next season. In 13th place, we have Wolves with the review from Jordan Russell from the Wolves Fancast. Jordan Russell from the Wolves Fancast. Um, it's been a really difficult season for Wolves on and off the pitch, really. We've um, struggled with a bit of our identity this season and also our style of play has been a bit stagnated, I'd say. Um, and a, a big factor of that is obviously the horrific injury to Raul Jimenez away at Arsenal around November time. Um, really put a grind and a bit of a halt to our season. Um, Nuno had actually won manager of the month in October and we were actually near the top end of the table again, hoping to break those European spots again. Unfortunately, there's been a few factors as to why that hasn't happened. And now to add to that, as of recording, uh, Nuno and the club have agreed a mutual termination of his contract. So, again, what, what can you say about Nuno? You know, he's revolutionised the club for the last four seasons and, you know, he's made every Wolves fan dream and believe that, you know, we can get back up there with um, the elite in English football like we were in the 50s. Um, you know, best manager in my lifetime. We've been to Wembley in FA Cup semi-final, back-to-back seventh finishes, Europa League quarter-final. It's just astonishing, really, from where we've come to. It's going to be a massive season now, next season, I think, without, you know, with a new manager. Um, new identity is going to be brought to the club. We definitely need to spend as well. And I'd imagine there'll be some high-profile um, sales go out as well. I think we get a bit more of that uh, Diogo Jota money as well from your lot, Mike, as well. So that'd be nice to put into the transfer kitty. Um, but in all seriousness, yeah, it's been a, it's been a tough year. Well, I think we've done well to come 12th out of it. And if I'm honest with you, it'll be great sort of just to get back in Molyneux, get the fans in there, fill it out. And we know what a hostile atmosphere it can be at Molyneux, as we discussed on your podcast, mate. So, yeah, can't wait to get back. I'm thankful that the season's over. Hopefully England go and win the Euros now and uh, we'll kick on from next season. All the best and up the Wolves. Up next, we have 14th place Crystal Palace with a review from Jack from the five-year plan. Hi, I'm Jack Pearce from the five-year plan here to talk about Palace's season. The aim at the start of the season was was to stay up. That's Palace's typical aim um, for most seasons since we've been promoted uh, in 2013, but even more importantly, given the um, financial situation that that Palace and other clubs find themselves in, with the uh, with the risk the pandemic poses to to clubs of Palace's size, um, so in terms of meeting that aim, we we achieved it, and we achieved it um, in February with uh, mathematically with a with a win at St James's Park against Newcastle. So in terms of threat from relegation, the the threat was relatively minimal, and testament to to Roy Hodgson's management. Um, of of the playing staff and the fixture list, and um, there were some dire matches and results. We lost seven 0 at home to Liverpool, um, but in terms of worst performances, I'd say that the Villa defeat um, on Boxing Day um, was worse than the the, the seven nil defeat and defeats um, against Burnley, both at Turf Moor and Selhurst, um, also spring to mind in terms of disappointing performances. But we did have some more, uh, some positive results too. Uh, we won at Old Trafford for the second season running. Um, Wilfred Zaha scoring two goals 
um, at his at his former employer, which uh, put a big smile on his face that day, uh, and also the last kick winner at the Amex um, was a was a was hugely popular amongst Palace fans. Um, I think I'm right in recalling that we only had two touches in their penalty box throughout the whole game, both of which um, ended up as goals. Um, and Christian Benteke's excellent volley to to win the points was uh, was a goal that will live in Palace memories for a very very long time. Uh, regarding best performance of the season, Wilfred Zaha, um, you know, I think scored his the most goals he scored in the Premier League season, uh, which is really pleasing for him. Uh, I think he'll be disappointed he didn't, he didn't score more, but his goals were really important. And um, as ever, he he remains our talisman. Um, Eberiche Eze's first season in the Premier League was was excellent, capped off with some wonderful moments. His uh, individual goals uh, at home and away uh, against Sheffield United spring to mind, but. He, uh, as the season progressed, began to have increasing influence on on whole matches, which was really pleasing. His injury, which occurred um, the last week of the season, is is really disappointing for for Palace and Palace fans. I think there's an expectation that he was going to be increasingly influential next season um, under a new manager. So the club need to assess what they do um, in his absence. The re-emergence of Christian Benteke was another real positive in the second half of the season. He ended the campaign with 10 goals. Uh, which is the most since his first season at Palace. Um, and uh, not only were his goals really pleasing to see, his overall performances were excellent. And um, it's very much hoped by Palace fans that he will sign a contract extension. Um, he is a free agent this summer, and given how he ended the season, he won't be short of suitors. Roy Hodgson leaving the club was always a possibility, um, and it was pleasing that fans could say goodbye um, in person to him at Selhurst in our last home game against Arsenal. Um However, replacing him uh, is perhaps the biggest appointment for the club since um, since promotion. There's a there's a lot of players that are out of contract as well, so there's a big turnover in terms of manager and also players. Um, to hammer home the point in terms of our uh, squad uh, contract situation, four of the starters in the last home sorry in the last match against Liverpool uh, are out of contract. Um, in addition to to Ben Teke and and some other squad players too, so there will be big turnover at Palace this summer and. Palace fans uh, currently experience a, a mixture of apprehension and excitement ahead of next season, but um, all fans do realise the importance of the next appointment. And in 15th place, we have Southampton with a review from Dan from the Saints View. Hi everyone, it's Dan here from the Saints View, here to talk about Southampton's 2020-21 season, which overall is a massive, massive disappointment really. We had not massive hopes um for the uh, for the season but there was definitely some sort of underlying feeling that maybe this could be a special season you know given how how well we played in the second half of the season last year especially towards the end with the restart period um and yeah I, I we were on course for that we were um with the first half of the season we were brilliant we obviously got top of the league um albeit for i think it was like what was it two days um, back in November, I mean, it's it's been a weird season, hasn't it? Really, I think the first half of the season has been or was very um, very tight. We saw like nine different leaders, which was it's still mental to think, given how dominant Man City were in the uh, the second half of the season. But with Southampton, yeah, we were we were brilliant. We were scoring goals defensively. We looked decent as well, pressing teams incredibly well. And yeah, we were a force to be reckoned with. I mean, no one obviously thought we were gonna <laughs> we were gonna finish top or stay there. Um, but there was a 
a slight feeling that maybe we could be dark horses for that um, Europa Conference spot in seventh place or maybe even break the top six. You look at West Ham, I think they're a perfect example of what we wanted to do this season and what we thought we could be capable of. But um, in the end, I think we've just burnt out really a real mixture of reasons for that. I think fitness levels, you know, we obviously we're high pressing sides that work very hard and do a lot of running. I think by Christmas, we might have tired ourselves out. Um, Ralph has shown a lot of naivety. Ralph Hardenhurst, who that is, has uh, shown a lot of naivety when it comes to things like substitutions, the way he sets the team up. I mean, we played the exact same formation and system against any opponent, which is obviously why sometimes we play incredibly well and other times, you know, teams suss us out and we, we, re- we really struggle and we concede a shipload of goals. That's also been a big problem for us, again, conceding way too many goals. So going into next season, I think it's definitely vital that we recruit well in the summer. We've got Ryan Burchin leaving. He's been our first choice left back for, I think, six or seven seasons now. So we need to replace him. Uh, we'll probably need a backup left back as well. Backup right back to Walker Peters. So it's a mixture. It's a mixture of getting depth and adding quality to the starting eleven because I think there are there are a couple of areas that we need to improve where it's very obvious. Um, but there will obviously be a priority list and we're... You know, we're not we're not blessed with funds at the moment. Um we're not really getting much money in from our from our ownership. So yeah, it's a big it's a big summer because if we get it wrong, I think, you know, we probably will finish below fifteenth. And obviously if, if we're gonna finish below fifteenth, that suggests that there could be, you know, I won't I won't say the word but the R word, but yeah, it's been overall a massive disappointment, more so because of the second half of the season. But player of the season for me, James Will Prowse, he did uh get that award uh, the other week and yeah it's massively deserved he's played every single minute been so so good this season and deservedly is in the England squad for the Euros so thank you for having me guys and yeah all the best up next in 16th place we have Brighton with a review from Alan from the Albion Roar I think if you're going to offer a summary of the season for, um, for Brighton and Hove Albion I think you've got to give some context For 77 of our 109 seasons in the Football League, we have been in the bottom two divisions, in the third or fourth division. Now, all the records are saying that, hey, this is our fifth season, fifth consecutive season in the Premier League, in the top flight, which is a club record, which is absolutely brilliant. But it's also our 11th consecutive season in the top two divisions, and that is also a club record. So it gives you a sense of context as to the history of Brighton and Hove Albion, Um, since we were formed in 1901, compared to where we are now. Now, since we moved to our stadium in 2011, the club has grown, I wouldn't say exponentially, but it's it's on its upward trajectory. It's, you know, had the odd hiccup here and there, but it's forever been on an upward curve. So we've had our first four seasons in the Premier League, two under Chris Hewton and two under Graham Potter, and their their styles are, are quite contrasting. But I think it's fair to say that in every single aspect of our football, with one exception, and I think it's an exception that everyone has pointed out, this is probably the best football Brighton and Hove Albion's ever been playing, given the context of the fact we're in the top division. Rewind 10 years ago, we absolutely destroyed the third division, but that was the third division. This is the top division, so I would say that uh, we have played some wonderful football, we have a tight defence, we have um, uh, some attractive-looking uh, styles of play. It has been scintillating to watch at times. I only wish that the fans were there to see it. Um, but 
for the fact that we can't finish. We cannot shoot for toffee. And we have missed so many glaring open, open sitters. <clears throat> and that's been the story of our season. We've created so many chances. We've defended so well. We've done everything that a top 10, top six side should do, except score. And scoring, of course, is the most important aspect of football. My player of the season for Brighton and Hove Albion is Eve Basuma. He has been an absolute revelation. We knew he was good. He was getting better all the time. But he has bossed that midfield. He's bossed everyone else's midfield. He's been one of the best central defensive midfield players in the division. There are probably one or two who would say, ah, but, ah, but. Well, I'd say, well, ah, but Eve Basuma as well. Lewis Dunk, the captain, has led by example, uh, apart from the two sendings off. Um, Pascal Gross, Solly March have returned to some kind of form that we expected them to. We have a very exciting prospect in Tarek Lamptey. He's attracted a lot of attention, um, but only after 10 games, which is not too bad. I can't see him moving on, nor can I see Ben White moving on, even if he does go to the Euros. Um, ben White has been outstanding as a rookie. There's been a lot of hype around him. Kind of surprising, you know, Brighton fans raising their eyebrows that Gareth Southgate should pick the third best centre-back at the club. But if that's what he wants, it's his choice. My hopes for next season, I would just look for an improvement. An improvement in, in shooting, improvement in scoring. Um, if we can carry on the way that we've been going, but learn how to stick the ball in the onion bag, we will be a top half side without a shadow of a doubt and possibly even higher, who knows. Um, so the um, I think there's very few Brighton fans also who are concerned about relegation next season. They see the path that we're on is a good one. And uh, yeah, the vast, vast majority of us have faith in Graham Potter and um, we're looking forward to next season. In 17th place, we have Burnley with a review from Joe from the Turfcast. Hi guys, just giving my quick review of the Burnley season um, for the 2020-2021 Premier League season. Um, ultimately, the aim was achieved. We've stayed in the Premier League and that was um, one of the aims. It's, it's disappointing overall, the season. Um, I'm not going to beat around the bush too much. Um, but it is disappointing to finish 17th on only 39 points, you know, not achieve, not even getting to 40 points. That's, that's very, very poor. Um, and it might seem a bit strange to hear a Burnley fan say, um, you know, I'm just happy that we've we've stayed up after two top 10 finishes in the last two, two out of the last three seasons prior to this season, obviously finishing 10th last season and 7th a couple of seasons before that and even qualifying for the qualifying stages of the Europa League. Um but due to years of uh, of no investment, um, it's it, we've slowly started to to go backwards, and that's the position that we find ourselves in now. Just staying, I say just staying up. We, we finished seventeenth, and ultimately we were never really in any danger of going down. Um, but finishing seventeenth on thirty nine points doesn't look good, does it? And ultimately, we've stayed up because there's three worse teams than us. I think normally we stay up because we are a very good side, uh, and teams struggle to break us down and things like that. Whereas this season. We've only stayed up because Sheffield United, West Brom and Fulham have all been absolutely dreadful. Um, so, yeah, not, not the best of seasons. Um, happy that we stayed up ultimately, though. Um, but big summer needed. We need some investment because, like I said, under the previous regime, um, there's been no investment in this squad for years now. We haven't bought a first-team player, someone who just slots straight into the first team uh, since we bought Chris Wood from Leeds, which is four years ago now, I think. 
Um, so yeah, big investment needed, big job on for the new board. Um, they've talked the talk, but now it's time for him to walk the walk. So fingers crossed they can bring some people in. We can keep Dash, keep Tarke, keep Pope. Uh, and then push on next season, hopefully, and uh, and then try and finish a little bit higher than 17th, because ultimately, we've stayed up, yeah, but it hasn't really been good enough. We're now going into the bottom three teams that got relegated from this season's Premier League, starting with 18th placed Fulham, with a review from Sammy James from Fulhamish. Hey Mike, so the season from a Fulham perspective is is not the best, to be honest. Obviously, we knew it was going to be a tough season when we came into it, but it still feels disappointing that we got relegated in the manner we did. It started off pretty horrifically in the first few games, but then the, the signings that we made, the likes of Joachim Anderson, Alphonse Ariola, Tosin Adarabayo towards the end of the summer window, really felt like we had a bit of an opportunity and the run that we had in in February and, and March where we, we took so many points from some really difficult games. We got wins at Everton, a win at Liverpool. It felt like Fulham had an amazing chance to stay up in the Premier League but for reasons that I think none of us are 100% sure about, Fulham just utterly fell apart in the final eight games of the season. We lost so many games that we shouldn't have against teams that ordinarily you'd felt like Fulham had the quality to to beat, and, and particularly the collapse at Aston Villa when we were 1-0 up with 10 minutes to go. To lose that 3-1 felt like a bit of a catalyst for what came later, and the team just couldn't recover. Um it was a really difficult scenario for us. We had a really short window after winning the playoff final, only four weeks of any gap between the playoff final and then the start of the Premier League, which made life difficult. But still, it feels disappointing because we got ourselves into a position to stay up and ultimately we failed to do so with some really, really high quality players as well. You do wonder if maybe Scott Parker... Should have got them firing a little bit better and, and particularly our attack at times was just utterly woeful. We just couldn't score a goal um, to save our life in the final kind of half a dozen games. So disappointing, but fingers crossed it. If Scott stays on board, I think we're fairly well placed to compete compete well in the championship next year. So fingers crossed we'll be back in the Premier League and it'll be third time lucky for, for Fulham staying up. Up next in 19th place, we have West Brom with a review from Louis from the Baggies podcast. Hello everybody, I'm Louis from the Baggies podcast and a massive thank you to Mike for inviting me on to the Going the Match podcast today to talk about West Brom and Jalbian's season. It's been definitely a disappointment, I think that's where we can start with that. I mean, it's definitely been a disappointment, not much of a surprise to be honest. I think a lot of Albion fans were pretty pessimistic going into this season. You look at the squad, you look at other, you look, we look to other Premier League squad and we think we're not really on anybody else's level in this team. I think... The board had a particularly poor approach to transfers and recruitment this season, weren't particularly savvy uh, and we started off the season with Slavin Bilic and he was particularly obsessed with picking up loan players, picking up these loan players from last season such as Filip Kravinovic, Grady Dean Garner, uh, even picking up Colin Grant who wasn't a loan player but another championship player uh, who was due to make another step up to the Premier League. So this was quite a difficult team to assemble and it was one that Slavin obviously had the confidence that he could assemble and make work in the Premier League. But inevitably, we look back at that now and we think, what a, we thought at the time, what a signing people like Grady Dean Garner, Kyle and Grant, they're going to score goals, they're going to get assists. They did so in the Championship. And we were left royally disappointed, to be honest, by the by the performances of, of some of their players. Filip Kravinovic didn't even last until the end of January with us uh, as soon as Big Sam came in. 
I feel the sacking of Slavon Bilic was particularly untimely. I think after a draw at Man City, I think that's not really the time you sack your manager. I think he probably should have been sacked after maybe 5-1 against Crystal Palace, perhaps even the Newcastle defeat before. Yes, the decision may have been made by then. I just think there wasn't that wasn't particularly the note you'd want to go out on by, by being sacked uh, after drawing 1-1 at Man City, which was an outstanding result. You consider the quality that they had. And we re- that, that game really sparked Man City's run going on, to be honest. But... I think the sacking of Slam Bilic was was right, but at the wrong time. I feel the appointment of Big Sam, we do this a lot. We try and start to build in a positive direction, and we always end up at square one with somebody like Pulis, Pardew, now Allardyce, and we always end up at that square one after being in the Premier League. We push the panic button. We don't try and go for another manager who we think will be able to develop these players in a positive way and keep going for a few years. We do the panic button and we press it to get an older manager in. And we've done it and we've been relegated, uh, I think, twice now in the fa- in the past five years because of that partic- those particular decisions. Yes, I feel Big Sam has improved the side. I think he's brought in signings that have made us a lot better. I feel you know, the signing of Okaya Kushlu is exactly what we've been crying out for. I don't know who at the club didn't notice that we needed a defensive midfielder at the start of this season, but Big Sam did. I mean, it's a pretty obvious thing to spot when you've got when you're playing Romain Soyes and Jake Livermore in your midfield in the Premier League. Pretty easy thing to spot. And Big Sam did it and he bought in your Kuslu. The signing of Mbai Diagne, although he's uh, teetered off in recent weeks, was very effective when he first came in. The same with Ainsley Metton Niles, providing a bit of legs in that midfield. Overall, Big Sam has improved the side, but I'd say it's a too little too it's it's too late really for him. It became too late when we started playing like a mid table side. I think it you know, we were already three or four games away from relegation and it was too late to be saved then but yeah disappointing season overall I think it's going to need a bit of restructuring I'd love to see a younger manager come in this uh, next season for the championship and see if we can really start the rebuild I just hope for the love of God we do not push that panic button again when we're in the middle of a nice little project that we were doing and finally in 20th place we have Sheffield United with a review from David from Demblades I finally managed to get outside and enjoy some of this sun on the bank holiday weekend uh, which is slightly different to the less than sunny disposition that United fans have when thinking about this season. It started badly and continued in the same vein and uh, there's been a lot of analysis from United fans as to what just went wrong and I don't think there's one thing that you can actually put it all down to. There's, there's There's a number of things. I think one of the most important things for me, actually, is uh, injuries, more specifically to Jack O'Connell. Now, he was injured towards the end of last season, and uh, it it coincided with lockdown and the the stopping of football. Uh, But you could see immediately with the team there was a drop in performances. Now, there is an argument to say that with lack of fans... um, our intensity went down and that is true Um, you can see that the connection that United fans have with their team is is very strong because of the last five years coming up through the leagues there's been a very strong bond that's been forged there um, after a a period where there was really no identity in the team the identity has been so so strong over the past five years and so there is an argument to say that the lack of fans really affected us that's true But it also, as I said, coincided with Jack O'Connell's injury. Now, if you look at Sheffield United's tactics with the now famous overlapping centre-backs, without one of those two overlapping centre-backs, the entire team 
becomes lopsided. Now, Chris Basham's a brilliant centre-back and fantastic overlapping centre-back. It's a very specialist position. And so if we're expecting Chris Basham to do all of the overlapping, the opposition just simply need to double up on him and our entire tactic is nullified. And we saw that throughout the season. There was less intensity going down the wings because opposition teams could just immediately defend very easily against us. So I think looking back on the season, over the next few years when we look back at this season, we will see and truly appreciate just how much of a miss Jack O'Connell was because we've got some other good centre-backs, but it's such a specialist role that you can't expect people just to walk in and be OK with it. Apart from that, it really comes down to momentum, I think. Starting out the season, there were five or six games that were very tough games against quite powerful teams. And if you don't get a few points on the board at the start, it's very difficult to start picking yourself up. And we didn't get the rub of the green. We've had a lot of bad luck this year. I know I would say that as a United fan, but it is true. Um, and if you don't get those points on the board, it becomes very, very difficult to gain any momentum. So it's been a, an omni-shambles, basically, this season. It's not been great. Personally, I was very sad to see Chris Wilder go. I think he's absolutely the best manager I've seen for Sheffield United and arguably one of our best ever. Um, but with the new manager coming in, Slavisi Jakanovic, uh, hopefully we can get a bit of a refresh and um, with Jack O'Connell coming back hopefully we can see the United of old and we can try and regain a bit of that identity that's been so important to us I for one cannot wait to get back into Bramall Lane and that concludes this episode and the 2020-2021 Premier League season a massive thank you to all our individuals for their reviews on their respective clubs of which you can find their details on their own podcasts in our description if you'd be interested in hearing more from them. And finally, a massive thank you from me for listening. But also, if you're new to this podcast, please be sure to go through the backlog of podcasts we've done over the last year with some great guests. And also a massive thank you to everyone who supported this podcast within the last year. If this is something you've enjoyed, please let us know via our social media. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Go In The Match.